0: CHAPTER Eleven OF MASTER OF LIFE AND DEATH BY ROBERT SILVERBERG This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The speech that night went over well, almost. Walton watched the program in the privacy of his home, sprawled out on the web-foam sofa, with a drink in one hand and the text of Percy's shooting script in the other. The giant screen that occupied nearly half his one unbroken wall glowed in lifelike colors. Fitzmaugham's career was traced with pomp and circumstance, done up in full glory, plenty of ringing trumpet flourishes, dozens of eye appealing color groupings, much high pitched, tense narrative. Percy had done his job skillfully. The show was punctuated by quotations from Fitzmaugham's classic book, Breathing Space and Sanity. Key government figures drifted in and out of the narrative webwork, orating sonorously that pious fraud m seymour lanson president of the united states delivered a flowery speech the old figurehead was an artist at his one function speech-making walton watched spellbound lee percy was a genius in his field there was no denying that finally toward the end of the hour the narrator said the work of popeek goes on though its lofty minded creator lies dead At an assassin's hand director Fitzmaugham had chosen as his successor a young man schooled in the ideals of Popeek Roy Walton we know will continue the noble task begun by DF Fitzmaugham for the second time that day Walton watched his own face appear on the video screen he glanced down at the script in his hand and back up at the screen Percy's technicians had done a brilliant job the Walton image on the screen looked so real that the Walton on the couch almost believed he had actually delivered this speech Although he knew it had been cooked up out of some rearranged stills and a few broken-down phonemes with his voice characteristics It was a perfectly innocent speech In humble tones, he expressed his veneration for the late director His hopes that he would be able to fill the void left by the death of Fitzmaugh his sense of Popeek as a sacred trust. Half listening, Walton began to skim the script. Startled, Walton looked down at the script. He didn't remember having encountered any such lines on his first reading, and he couldn't find them now. This morning, the pseudo-Walton on the screen went on, we received contact from outer space, from a faster-than-light ship sent out over a year ago to explore our neighboring stars news of this voyage has been withheld until now for security reasons but it is my great pleasure to tell you tonight that the stars have at last been reached by man a new world awaits us out there lush fertile ready to be colonized by the brave pioneers of tomorrow walton stared aghast at the screen his simulacrum had returned now to the script as prepared but he barely listened he was thinking that Percy had let the cat out for sure it was a totally unauthorized newsbreak. numbly Walton watched the program come to its end and wondered what the repercussions would be once the public grasped all the implications he was awakened at 0600 by the chiming of his phone grumpily he climbed from bed snapped on the receiver Switched the cutoff on the picture sender in order to hide his sleep rumpled appearance and said this is Walton Yes a picture formed on the screen a heavily tanned man in his late forties stocky hair close cropped Sorry to rouse you this way old man. I'm McLeod Walton came fully awake in an instant McLeod, where are you out on Long Island? I just pulled into the airport half a moment ago traveled all night after dumping the ship at Nairobi you made a good landing I hope the best the ship navigates like a bubble McLeod frowned worriedly. they brought me the early morning Telefax while I was having breakfast I couldn't help reading all about the speech you made last night Oh I quite a crasher of a speech McLeod went on evenly But don't you think it was a little premature of you to release word of my flight? I mean— It was quite premature, Walton said. A member of my staff inserted that statement into my talk without my knowledge. He'll be disciplined for it. A puzzled frown appeared on McLeod's face. Did you make that speech with your own lips? How can you blame it on a member of your staff? science that can send a ship to procyon and back within a year walton said can also fake a speech but i imagine we'll be able to cover up the pre-release without too much trouble i'm not so sure of that mcleod said he shrugged apologetically you see that planet's there all right but it happens to be the property of alien beings who live in the next world and they're not so happy about having Earth come crashing into their system to colonize. Somehow, Walton managed to hang on to his self control, even with this staggering news crashing about him. You've been in contact with these beings? he asked. McLeod nodded. They have a translating gadget. We met them, yes. Walton moistened his lips. I think there's going to be trouble, he said. I think I may be out of a job, too what's that just thinking out loud Walton said finish your breakfast and meet me at my office at 900 we'll talk this thing out then Walton was in full command of himself by the time he reached the Cullen building he had read the morning Telefax and heard the news blares they all screamed the sum and essence of Walton's speech of the previous night and a few of the braver Telefax outfits went as far as to print a resume of the entire speech boiled down to basic of course for the benefit of that substantial segment of the reading public that was most comfortable while moving its lips the one telefax outfit most outspokenly opposed to popeek Citizen, took great delight in giving the speech full play and editorializing on a subsequent sheet against the veil of secrecy hazing popeek operations Walton read the Citizen editorial twice, savoring its painstaking simplicities of expression. Then he clipped it out neatly and shot it down the chute to public relations, marked Attention Lee Percy. "'There's a Mr. McLeod awaiting to see you,' his secretary informed him. "'He says he has an appointment. "'Send him in,' Walton said, "'and have Mr. Percy come up here also.' While he was waiting for McLeod to arrive, Walton riffled through the rest of the telefax sheets. Some of them praised Popeek for having uncovered a new world. Others damned them for having hidden the news of faster-than-light drive so long. Walton stacked them neatly in a heap at the edge of his desk. In the bleak, dark hours of the morning, he had expected to be compelled to resign. Now he realized he could immeasurably strengthen his own position if he could control the flow of events and channel them properly the square figure of macleod appeared on the screen walton admitted him sir i'm McLeod. of course won't you sit down macleod was tense stiffly formal very british in his reserve and general bearing walton gestured uneasily trying to cut through the crackle of nervousness we seem to have a mess on our hands he said but there's no mess so messy we can't muddle through it eh? if we have to sir but I couldn't help feeling this could have been avoided no you're wrong McLeod if it could have been avoided it would have been avoided the fact that some idiot in my public relations department gained access to my wire and found out you were returning is incontrovertible it happened despite precautions mr. Percy to see you the annunciator said the angular figure of Lee Percy appeared on the screen Walton told him to come up Percy looked frightened terrified Walton thought he held a folded slip of paper loosely in one hand good morning sir good morning Lee Walton observed that the friendly Roy had changed to the formal salutation sir did you get the clipping I sent you yes sir clumly Lee this is Leslie McLeod chief of operations of our successful faster-than-light project Colonel MacLeod, I want you to meet Lee Percy. He's the man who masterminded our little news break last night. Percy flinched visibly. He stepped forward and laid his slip of paper on Walton's desk. I m-made m- a m-m-mistake last night, he stammered. I should never have released that break. Damn right you shouldn't have, Walton agreed, carefully keeping any hint of severity from his voice. You have us in considerable hot water, Lee that planet isn't ours for colonization despite the enthusiasm with which i allegedly announced it last night and you ought to be clever enough to realize it's impossible to withdraw and deny good news once you've broken it the planet's not ours but according to colonel mcleod walton said the planet is the property of intelligent alien beings who live in a neighboring world and who have no more care to have their system overrun by a pack of Earthmen than we would to have extrasolar aliens settle on Mars. "'Sir, that sheet of paper,' Percy said in a choked voice, "'It's—it's—' Walton unfolded it. It was Percy's resignation. He read the note carefully twice, smiled, and laid it down. Now was his time to be magnanimous. "'Denied,' he said. "'We need you on our team, Lee.' I'm authorizing a 10% pay cut for one week effective yesterday but there'll be no other penalty thank you sir he's crawling to me Walton thought in amazement he said only don't pull that stunt again or I'll not only fire you but blacklist you so hard you won't be able to find work between here and Procyon understand yes sir okay go back to your office and get to work and no more publicity about this faster-than-light thing until i authorize it no cancel that get out a quick release a follow-up to last night a smokescreen i mean cook up so much cloudy verbiage about the conquest of space that no one bothers to remember anything of what i said and play down the colonization angle i get it sir percy grinned feebly i doubt that walton snapped when you have the release prepared shoot it up here for my okay and heaven help you if you deviate from the text i see by as much as a single comma percy practically backed out of the office why did you do that mcleod asked puzzled you mean why did i let him off so lightly mcleod nodded in the military he said we'd have had a man shot for doing a thing like that this isn't the military walton said and even though the man behaved like a congenital idiot yesterday that's not enough evidence to push him into happy sleep besides he knows his stuff i can't afford to discharge him are public relations men that hard to come by no but he's a good one and the prospect of having him desert to the other side frightens me he'll be forever grateful to me now if i had fired him he would have had a half-a-dozen anti popeek articles in The Citizen before the week was out, and they'd ruin us. McLeod smiled appreciatively. You handle your job well, Mr. Walton. I have to, Walton said. The director of Popeek is paid to produce two or three miracles per hour. One gets used to it after a while. Tell me about these aliens, McLeod. McLeod swung a briefcase to Walton's desk. And flipped the magna seal. He handed Walton a thick sheaf of glossy color photos. The first dozen or so are screens of the planet, McLeod explained. It's Procyon 8, number 8 out of 16, unless we missed a couple. We checked 16 worlds in the system anyway. Ten of them were methane giants we didn't even bother to land. Two were ammonia supergiants, even less pleasant. Three small ones had no atmosphere at all worth speaking about and were no more livable-looking than Mercury And the remaining one was the one we called New Earth Take a look, sir Walton looked. The photo showed rolling hills covered with close-packed shrubbery, flowing rivers, a lovely sunrise Several of the shots were of indigenous life A wizened old four-handed monkey A six-legged dog-like thing a toothy bird. Life runs to six limbs there, Walton observed. But how livable can this place be? Unless your photos are soured, the grass is blue. And the water's peculiar looking, too. What sort of tests did you run? It's the light, sir. Procyon's a double star. That faint companion gets up in the sky and does tricky things to the camera. That grass may look blue. But it's a chlorophyll-based photosynthesizer all the same. And the water's nothing but H2O, even with that purple tinge. Walton nodded. How about the atmosphere? We were breathing it for a week. No trouble. It's pretty rich in oxygen. Twenty-four percent. Gives you a bouncy feeling. Just right for pioneers, I'd say. You've prepared a full report on this place, haven't you? Of course it's right here McLeod started to reach for his briefcase not just yet Walton said I want to go through the rest of these snapshots he turned over one after another rapidly until he came to a photo that showed a strange blocky figure forearmed bright green in color its necklace head was encased in some sort of breathing mask fashioned from some transparent plastic three cold brooding eyes peered outward. What is this, Walton asked? Oh, that Macleod attempted a cheerful grin. That's a Deernan. They live on Procyon Nine, one of the ammonia gas planets. They're the aliens who don't want us there. The end of Chapter Eleven of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg.